Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. The Lord spoke that through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 41, verse 10. It's an amazing promise that I cling to and that propels me in my life. And it is the focus of this podcast, the Gaining Strength podcast. Welcome to our podcast today. And we pray that you will find strength in the midst of what you hear this day. God bless you. We talked a little bit about, I guess, what you would call Jewish roots of baptism. We talked about the word mikvah, and, and that's M-I-K-V-A-H, if you were taking notes on that. That's a Hebrew word, and the first mention of that mikvah, that Hebrew word, the first mention of it is in uh, Genesis 1.10 where it talks about the gathering, how the Lord separated the land from the water and the gathering of waters he called seas. And this gathering of the waters is the mikvah. And that's the first mention of it. But the word mikvah uh, is used in a variety of ways in the Old Testament. One of them is to be waiting for something, to have confidence in a collection of water, how it's used in Genesis 1.10, a pond or a pool that's usually fed or fed by natural moving water. That usually is an aspect of that. And the Jews called the natural moving water living water. And uh, I think that's significant when we think about Jesus Christ being our living water. But this word, uh, mikvah, it has a root word. And in Hebrew, when someone's talking to you about the Hebrew root word, there's usually a word picture tied into that that you should grasp hold of because that root word gives significance to the, other, to the, the more extended word. Like the root word of mikvah is a word that means to bind together. Like you might take uh, fibers and bind them together to produce linen or to produce yarn and that word also has come to mean collect, expect, or expectation, and expectation in the form of hope. And so this, this beautiful word of mikvah has a lot of significance, and it's, it has built up into a practice that the Jews, they'll call it the mikvah, where the Jews will submit themselves to this washing or to this cleansing just like in the Old Testament in Exodus, when God spoke to Moses before he met them on Mount Sinai, and God spoke to Moses to tell the people to consecrate themselves, wash their bodies, wash their garments, and, and have a preparation period of three days because they were about to experience the presence of God. And so this word mikvah has come to, to, to be a washing a preparation, and a consecration to be able to be in the presence of God. And I want that image, that idea, to remain in your minds as you think about baptism. We're talking about what impacts us as the believer's baptism. And so I'm setting a stage of, of understanding about preparation, cleansing, and consecration, a setting apart of someone's life for purpose and for the presence of God.
okay? We used Jeremiah 17, 13. It was a unique form of using the word mikvah, and, and, and it said the hope of Israel, and it's, it's talking about God. The hope of Israel is God, but it's, it's in literally the mikvah of Israel. The, the collection of who God is and the fact that God wants to take you and bind you to himself like the, the linen yarn, com- connect you together with him into, into one. And so the Lord is, is using that verse. If you look at Jeremiah 17, let me, let me read that one more time. Jeremiah 17, 13 says, O Lord, the hope of Israel. That word where it says hope in English, that's mikvah. O Lord, the mikvah of Israel, the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down. And we emphasized last week this idea of binding together with God. The Lord wanted to bind Israel to himself. But Jeremiah here is bringing the word of the Lord and he's saying, Those of you who forsake him, meaning, and that forsake word means to relinquish, to let go of, to separate from. And and again, that idea of the fibers that the Lord wants to bind together into one, but these people were separating themselves from the cord of the Lord, separating themselves from, from what the Lord wanted to gather together to himself. And it's those people, those who choose to separate from the Lord, will be put to shame. It's those who turn away on earth and their names will be written down. And look at the last line of that verse. Because they have forsaken the fountain of living waters. And remember, the mikvah is a gathering of waters, a gathering of living waters, like seas in motion, like a bubbling brook. Water that would be clean, that would be moving, that would be fresh. And if you separate yourself from him, separate yourself from those living waters, you're going to dry up, you're going to be in shame, and and your source of life, you cut yourself off from the source of life. And so we we mentioned those things last week and uh, set a stage for understanding that uh, the Lord wants to wash us. He wants to draw us to himself, bind us together with him. And baptism is a preparation for coming into the presence of the Lord and being joined with him. The mikvah in the Jewish faith, the mikvah today is you would bathe yourself completely, wash your hair, trim your fingernails, complete cleansing of yourself. Then you would go to the mikvah, to the pool that has some form of living water into it, either fed by a spring or fed by rainwater or something like that. And then you would dip yourself completely in those waters, full immersion, and and step into it and completely cover yourself over your head, complete immersion. And that's, that's the idea we're talking about. It would be done before marriage. It would be done before uh, becoming a, a rabbi. It would be accomplished before, um, oh, some uh, Orthodox Jews would do the mikvah before Sabbath and certainly before the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And so it was a repeated practice to cleanse themselves, to prepare themselves for what the Lord wanted to do. 
And, and then we went to the context of John the Baptist, and we talked a little bit about that. We talked about his calling that's in Isaiah 40. Um, and then we talked about what John actually did when he was baptizing people. And then lastly, we talked about the baptism of Jesus. And, and what we're going to pick up today, we're going to talk more about the baptism of John and the significance of those things. I want to point out to you a couple of words to, to look at that. Let's go to Acts 19. We're going to start at verse 1. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. What did he find? Disciples. Not just converts, not just churchgoers, but disciples. People who had set themselves apart to be a learner, a follower. He found some disciples. And Paul said to them, verse 2, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And verse 3, this is what I want to focus on tonight. We'll actually get into Holy Spirit, more about the Holy Spirit later. But verse 3 is what I want you to focus on, this question. And Paul said to them, into what then were you baptized? Into what? Into what? Into John's baptism was their answer. Paul recognized at that point what they had experienced was, well, I guess you could say was incomplete. That it would not be complete until they were baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ and then he goes on to do that, and then he goes on to lay hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. This, this account is very important for us, very important for us as believers. And you might want to ask yourself the same question, into what was I baptized? And we're going we're gonna to talk about that. Into what were you baptized, he says. And so if you think about the word into, think about, opening a door and entering in. There's a leaving behind of something and an entering into at this baptism. It's a, it's a transition from something to something else. And this is very significant. So transition, it's a transition. Baptism is a transition. It's a passage. It's a leaving behind. It's a going forward. It's a going into now take a look at 1 Corinthians 10. Just the first couple of verses here. And this is Paul writing, and he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers, meaning all who passed before them, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And this verse number two was curious to me. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. We'll, we'll stop there. I want you to catch that. Into Moses. They were baptized into Moses. What does that mean? They were all under the cloud. What was the cloud? The cloud that followed them 
It was a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. It was a visible representation of God. It was the spirit of God who was traveling with them. And so they were all with this cloud, with the presence of God. And it says, and they were, they all passed through the sea. If you think about that passing through the sea, it's water. It's leaving behind Egypt and entering into the promised land, entering into where God, what God had for them in the future. And they passed through the sea as a form of baptism. Now, did they necessarily in that circumstance get wet? No, <laughs> but it's, it's symbolic of this transition. They were in slavery and they're walking into freedom. But they're walking into freedom under the leadership of Moses, under the authority of Moses. Moses being the God-appointed authority over their lives. God's servant. And so they were, in a sense, baptized. If you think, too, what were the elements of their baptism? It was the cloud of the presence. It was... The sea, the water, the, the mikvah, the collection of waters, they passed through it. And into what? Into Moses, under his leadership, under his authority. And I want to speak about this idea of when Adam and Eve were created, God breathed his spirit into them. When sin came, they were separated from God. And then God has been spending the rest of all of this time trying to set up the way that he can put his spirit back into people. That God, God putting his spirit back into people through, through the cross and through Pentecost combined, those two major acts were simply to be able to get his spirit back into us. The, what was lost in Eden is restored through the cross and Pentecost. It's restored to us. And so this next step was for Moses and the people being separated from Egypt, being separated, being, being pulled out of slavery into the freedom of serving God. And it's a, it's a transition. Now they're a nation where God dwells among them. And he's in the cloud He's with them. Now, if you think about it, the Lord shows them how to build the tabernacle. The Lord um, dwells and rests over the mercy seat. He's dwelling with them. But as Jesus promised, the spirit that is with you shall be in you. And if I can say it this way, the baptisms that we're talking about lead further and further and further into God being able to get inside of us and then to, to cover us, shower us with his spirit. That's a, a really big idea. So let's take a look at um, Exodus 29.45. I actually got ahead of myself and talked about that just now. 45 and 46. This is God, and he's saying, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. 
I am the Lord their God. And so he dwells with them in the cloud, in the pillar of fire. They see the presence of the Lord manifested in their, in their day. And they have the tabernacle. And the presence of the Lord rests upon the mercy seat on top of the ark. And he's traveling with them. That's, that's I guess you could say, a specific or a certain dispensation or a certain level of, of nearness that God, and they, they had to fulfill the procedures of the law and, and the shedding of blood and the sacrifices just to be able to have the presence of God with them. And then Jesus fulfills that whole package so that his presence can dwell in us and not just be outside of us. It's huge, huge idea. Now, let's, let's go to John 1. I'm going to talk about John the Baptist again. John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 6 to 8. There came a man sent from God whose name is John. And that's, okay, the writer of this book is John the Apostle. John the Beloved, but he's speaking about John the Baptist here. He's writing about John the Baptist. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all who might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. John the Baptist. Now, Matthew 3. Now, as we're reading through this portion, I want you to think about what was John's process or what was the process he's taking the people through, okay? Now, John's baptism, Matthew 3, verse 1. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. One man called by God going out into the wilderness. Now, if you were going to perform a work for God and bring many people to Jesus, would you go preaching in the wilderness by yourself? God sometimes does things differently than we would, right? So John goes out into the wilderness of Judea and he's preaching this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I have memories of that guy on the boardwalk in Rehoboth Beach when I was a kid. Any of you experience him? Yeah. Up and down the boardwalk with a sandwich sign on his body, and he's continually crying out, repent, prepare for the judgment. I'm not sure what else. That's what I remember was what he said. John is preaching, and he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is within your grasp. The kingdom of heaven is right at the door. And he's, and he's stirring up expectation and he's also calling people to repent. Old Testament word for repent means turn around, turn back to God. New Testament word repent means change your thinking. In other words, change your thinking about the way you're living. Change your thinking about God, about, well, and I would say to people today, change your thinking about Jesus Christ. Get your mind renewed about who he is. But repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said in Isaiah 40, 
the voice of one crying, that means shouting, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John is preaching about repentance because he's trying to get Israel to realize Messiah is coming. He's right at the door. Now, at this point, you can find out in the scriptures, John didn't know who Messiah was. He didn't recognize who he was. And so he's just getting the people to anticipate, to expect that Messiah is coming. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight in your life. Is there twistedness? Is there pride? Is there insecurity? And so the Lord is, is speaking. Make his path straight. Straighten out what's crooked. Repent. Change your thinking about those things. If you're exalted in pride, get rid of it. Ask the Lord for help. If you're struggling and wallowing in insecurity, let the Lord build you up and give you confidence for who he's made you to be. And, and so change your thinking about these things. Verse 4. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and some of Judea. What's it say? It says all of Judea. Now I, I looked that up. There was, in this region of the world, there was perhaps it's been estimated up to a half a million people in the region. But Judea and Jerusalem, Jerusalem probably had somewhere between 30 and 50,000 people in the city of Jerusalem and many more in the area surrounding that in, in Judea. A lot of people. We don't know the exact number, but you could imagine thousands, thousands of people. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea, in other words, thousands of people in all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they, as they confessed their sins, confessing their sins. So we see two things right now. First thing John called people to was to repentance. Second thing John was expecting from the people was confession. Confession of sin. Now, it must have been absolutely amazing to be there among lots and lots of people. I don't know how much time this took for this many people to come out and be baptized. And, and if you imagine him going out by himself, crying in the wilderness, it probably only caught the attention of one or two or three people at first, but it built and it built as it built as people experienced this washing, this confession of sin, this, this renewed expectation for the kingdom of God coming. And it, and it just multiplied. And, and to be there... And to hear people confess their sin. Do you think there were probably tears? Do you think there was much prayer? You, what we're hearing about happening at the Asbury University at, in, in Wilmore, Kentucky. Uh, if you haven't heard about it, look it up. It's, there's amazing things to read and see and experience about what's happening there. But one of the big things that's happening is these young people are standing in front of hundreds of other people and confessing their sin. And they said a big majority of that confession is pornography. And people are getting free. They're getting forgiven. 
They're repenting. They're getting healed. No wonder the Spirit of God is moving. Now, is this saying that they had to confess their sin publicly? Not necessarily. The Bible doesn't necessarily say you have to confess in front of a whole bunch of people. But what's the word say in 1 John? He wrote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you, the, what you have to do is confess your sin to God. Sometimes you might want to confess it to another person. First step in the process was repentance. Change your mind about the way you've been living. And two, confess your sin. John, John required a confession. And let's see what else. There's one more thing. Verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And he goes on more specifically there. The third thing is bearing fruit. In other words, demonstrate that your life is changed. Repentance, confession, and fruit-bearing are expectations from, from John's baptism. And I want to I connect that to that life change. If you look uh, at Luke chapter 3, every gospel has a little bit to say about, about John's baptism and the baptism of Jesus, and it's worth going through and looking at those verses, I, I would highly recommend that you do that when you have time. But Luke chapter 3, verse 10, this is a similar description where, where Luke is, you know, you know, Luke wrote his gospel based on interviews, his interviews and research, and there's a lot of detail in here that he wrote down that other people shared with him whose lives were changed by all this that was happening in those days. And verse 10, Luke 3.10, and the crowds were questioning him about this bearing fruit idea. How do you bear fruit that shows repentance? And this is what he, John says. And they were saying, then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. He who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said, Collect no more than what you've been ordered to. Verse 14, some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. So he's giving them practical things that they can do, how they can change to demonstrate the fruit of what has just happened to them. And, and the Lord would have us do the same. Examine ourselves. Ask the Lord, what can I do that's going to demonstrate the change that you're working in my life? And, and let me, while we're here, let's read this verse 15 too. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John, Everything that John did at this point was to bring people to a place of being prepared 
for Jesus, being prepared for Messiah, being prepared for this encounter of the kingdom of God. This idea, baptism as a preparation, as a transition, a transition from what was before into what Jesus is now bringing in, what Jesus is going to usher in, what Messiah is going to usher in. And so I want to, again, speak that word again, transition, leaving something behind, moving into something else. And so there's a transition from John and, and in where is it, Matthew 11, Matthew 11, 11 says, Jesus says, truly I say to you among those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. There's some curious, curious words there. But, and you're like, how can, how can anyone be, be, you know, you're saying John the Baptist. There's not anyone greater than those born of women than John the Baptist up until now. And there's. A couple of ways of thinking about this verse, there there may be more, but it says, yet one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Who humbled himself lower than anybody? Jesus. Jesus humbled himself lower than anybody. And Jesus is bringing and ushering in the kingdom. And when you receive Jesus Christ, this one into your heart, and you learn the path and the ways of humility as being the way to grace, what is offered to you through Jesus Christ elevates you to a place where you're seated with Christ, Paul wrote. There's, there's, I mean, you want to pray about this verse and ask the Lord to give you revelation and understanding. John was the end or the ending of the Old Testament prophets, yet Jesus honored him. Jesus honored him as being a great man. But he's, what's also happening here is he's saying there's a dividing line. Look down at uh, verse 13. It says, for all the prophets in the law, all including John, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. There's an ending of something happening here. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets, even though he's written about in the New Testament. He's the last of what you might call a dispensation. He's the last of an old covenant. And Jesus is about to usher in the new covenant. And so again, transition. There's a huge transition here between what was and what's coming through Jesus Christ. So yeah, a big transition, right? From John to Jesus, from old covenant to new, from God dwelling with a nation to God being able to be inside of each person who would receive him. Huge, huge transition. So God was setting all of this up through Jesus Christ, and it was, as as scripture tells us, Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was his plan from the beginning. Now, Matthew 3.13, we're going to look at some things about Jesus' baptism again. 
Matthew 3, 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. Now at this point, let me remind you, John did not, John knew Jesus, he was his cousin. And he'd seen the life and the upbringing of, of Jesus, we assume, from perhaps family gatherings or something like that. But John did not know at this point that Jesus was the Messiah. But John tried to prevent him saying, I have need to be baptized by you. Meaning Derek Prince was listening to a message and Derek Prince was saying, John recognized that Jesus was holier than him. Not necessarily because he knew he was Messiah. We think not. We think he didn't know at this point. John did not know that this was the Messiah until the spirit came and descended upon him, which is about to happen. But John says, I have need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. This word fulfill in the Greek, it means to make replete. It means to cram in. It means to level up, to furnish, to provide to satisfy, to finish, to verify. And so, so Jesus is telling John that this act that Jesus is about to experience, that he's about to submit himself to, that he's about to undergo, is to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is the righteousness of God. And Jesus is about to enter into the work He's about to be inaugurated into ministry. It is transitioning right here into the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is beginning his ministry. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all righteousness. And he's saying, let this happen so that Jesus can fulfill his purpose to become and to be the righteousness of God for all of us. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. To fulfill all righteousness. And, and another word here, he says, in this way it is fitting for us. That us, I think, I think it's probably not just referring to him and John in those, that moment. But all who would come to Christ, all who would receive the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ in the future, that it is to fulfill, to cram, to furnish, to satisfy, to verify the righteousness of God for us all. Permitted at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. The righteousness of God needed to be restored into those that, I mean, God created us in the beginning to lead, to, to, domi to dominate, has such a negative word to us now, but, but to lead from Genesis 1 that we would be fruitful, that we would multiply, that we would steward over the earth with the love and the power and the truth of God. And it was, it was a righteous dominion that we were to walk into. And here and now, Jesus is saying, I'm going to make this happen. 
God through me is going to make this happen, that righteousness, righteous living, righteous life is going to be able to be restored to people. And he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. So baptized in water, but also baptized in the Holy Spirit. You see the water. He's being baptized with the baptism of John, even though he had no need of repentance, none, no need of repentance. He only did this to fulfill righteousness, to begin his ministry, to prepare himself, to consecrate himself, to separate himself for the presence of God to come into and on his life. And here the Holy Spirit is poured out upon him. And behold, the heavens were opened. That open word is like a, a violent tearing and ripping, just like the, the, the veil in the temple being ripped and torn in two. The heavens were opened. They were torn open. And the Holy Spirit poured out because Jesus is presenting himself to the Father, consecrated. And now the Lord God Almighty is pouring out his spirit on him to set him apart and fill him with power to fulfill his purpose. Behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God that John saw with his own eyes, the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The spirit of God. So he's baptized in water and he's baptized in the spirit of God, sanctified and set apart for the work and the purpose that God had for him, the purpose of being Messiah, the purpose of ushering in this new covenant, this new government that Pastor Carl spoke of. And so this process of his role of becoming and being able to be declared the son of God, God declares him as his son right here. But Pastor Carl taught us some months ago or maybe last year that that the fullness of him being able to be called the son of God didn't happen until God raised him from the dead. When he raised him from the dead, there was no shadow of a doubt that this one was the son of God. This is a, a work that Jesus is entering into here, but he doesn't finish it until he fulfills it completely on the cross and lays, and his body is laid in the grave. And then God, the father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, raises him from the dead. Jesus didn't raise himself. God the Father raised him by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised him from the dead. And so we see people are baptized in a substance, the cloud, in the sea, the water, the spirit. People are baptized in something, but they're being baptized as a transition from and into something else. I want to close here with some ideas. Oh, wait, hold on a minute. Let me, let me read John 1, 29 to you. I think this is important. John 1, 29 to verse 34. Again, this is another account. John, the apostle's account of the baptism of Jesus. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, and John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he 
on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a rank higher than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him. Here John is saying, I didn't recognize that he was the one. John said, I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. So a couple things here. John didn't recognize him before the spirit descending upon him. And John knew his purpose. John's purpose was to reveal Messiah to the nation of Israel. And for that purpose, John was to baptize, to call people to repentance, to call people to confession, to call people to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then John says, John testified saying, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. I saw it with my own eyes. And then he says, and he remained upon him. Wasn't that the spirit came upon him just for one particular act. The spirit, you know, in the old days, the spirit came upon Samson. The spirit came upon Gideon. The spirit came upon uh, certain people for a specific task, for a specific time. But here, the spirit came upon Jesus and remained. I did not recognize him, he says again. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, and he gave him this sign, this particular sign. He upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and testified that this, this man, this Jesus is the son of God. Very, very important. And so, Jesus was baptized in water. Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit in the same act, in the same moments. And Jesus was baptized into his purpose. He was inaugurated into his purpose as Messiah. He's inaugurated into the righteousness of God, fulfilling the righteousness of God on our behalf and into this process of him becoming exactly what God declared. You know, God declares who you are, but you have to agree with it and walk in it to fulfill it. Yes. God declares who you are, but you have to agree and comply, agree and obey, agree and live it out, just like Jesus. Us, the Lord calls us to be baptized in water and to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He calls us to be baptized into Christ, into Christ and entering in to who he is. Baptism is a seal and a sign that you have chosen to repent. You have chosen to leave behind things and to transition into Christ, to transition into who he is, to allow the Holy Spirit to empower you to become who God made you to be to fulfill your purpose. Jesus didn't begin or fulfill his purpose until he was baptized. Jesus is our example. We need water baptism 
and Holy Spirit baptism to know and to fulfill our purpose too. And so he calls you and he asks you, will you obey? Will you enter in? Will you allow the Spirit of God to fill you and to reveal your purpose to you? Some of us have been baptized but haven't recognized the significance of it. Some of us have resisted baptism, not sure why, but the Spirit of God may be speaking to you through these messages to consider water baptism and consider the baptism of the Holy Spirit and specifically to model your life after what we've studied tonight. If Jesus Christ submitted to baptism and didn't begin his purpose in ministry until the Holy Spirit came, how much more do we need to do so? In the end of the Gospel of Mark, it talks about it and it says, believe and be baptized. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Lord wants you to be baptized. So wherever you are with this, I ask you to pray and surrender your heart before the Lord and see what the Lord is calling you to do. Are you willing to hear what God declares about you and then to agree with it and walk it out? Perhaps, considering what I'm saying, perhaps there are some people who are unclear about their purpose in their life because they haven't submitted to the process. Perhaps. We recognize, Lord God, this is deep and amazing things that you have done for us through Jesus Christ. And Father, like uh, years ago, when I said to you, Lord, I don't know about all of this, but if you have something more for me, then I want it. Lord, I pray if there's people within the sound of my voice that would say the same thing to you, even here tonight, Lord, if you have something more for me, I want it. So Lord, we are... We hold out our hearts to you and we ask for the more, whatever the more looks like. Help each one in this house, each one hearing, help us, Lord, by your spirit to submit to your process. Father, I pray that each of us would hear from you what it is you would have us to do and strengthen us, Lord, by your grace to walk it out and fulfill what you've designed for us, your path, your plan, your pattern, by the Spirit of God, we submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Gaining Strength podcast today. It is my prayer that you have been encouraged and edified by this message. And may the Holy Spirit continue to strengthen you as he builds us up into the body of Christ. If you would like to share a prayer request or a concern, I can be reached at the following email address, gainingstrengthpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Cheryl Truitt, your host for the Gaining Strength Podcast, and may you be strengthened as you walk in love, truth, and faith. Mm-hmm.